How's it guys? It's Amara Garda and you are listening to my futile optimism. So last week's episode was a little bit heavy and I spoke a lot about mental health and mental illness and I hope that everyone that listened and gave feedback is feeling good because today we are probably going to feel a little bit angry. We are talking about billionaires. We are also talking a little bit about the cabinet reshuffle that happened in South Africa over the week. And I'll talk a little bit about endings. I will save that part for the end, naturally. So I'm going to start by talking about the billionaire story because I have seen a lot of celebration and jubilation at the recent inclusion of Rihanna on the billionaires list. And a lot of people are celebrating it as an achievement and I get it. I understand it. Um, There's a lot of excitement over a young black woman who owns her personality rise to be a billionaire. That's, I mean, that's a great feat. And I think a lot of it stems from how when all of us were young, we grew up looking up to billionaires. Or, I mean, I doubt many of us knew billionaires. We grew up looking up to people who had wealth, who had money. People with nice cars, people with nice clothes, people with nice homes. Whatever signifiers of wealth or money that we could find, we always looked at them as symbols of success. The more money you have, the better your life is, the better person you are. Um, And I think that is a flaw that we need to fix. It's about time we fix that flaw. The flaw in thinking that the amount of wealth that you have is directly reflected in how great you are or that the amount of money that you have is a signifier of how much you have contributed to the world. That is the greatest lie that we were ever sold, that you earn exactly what you are owed, and that is based on how much you contribute to your company or your country or your society or the world in general. We assume that whatever you earn is directly related to how much you offer people. And that makes it sound like the amount of money that you earn is a reward for the good that you do, or for how amazing you are, or for how valuable you are to society. I mean, with that kind of pressure, it's no wonder that we really, really struggle emotionally when we are unemployed. Because on the one hand, chronic unemployment means you can't afford basic things. But also, on the other hand, it feels like a societal reflection on how valuable you as a human being are. So if you can't get a job, you can't pay for stuff, but you also feel a little bit worthless because no one's willing to pay for what you can provide. We also see this in the way that we speak about people who are unemployed. In South Africa specifically, with our massive unemployment rate, we like to refer to a skills shortage more than we refer to a jobs shortage, which implies that the problem lies with the worker. And this is very problematic, but it's also predictable given the context that we live in. We live in a capitalist world. We live in a capitalist country. As much as people in the ANC might like to deny it, that is how our economy is structured. 
you get rewarded with financial incentives. The more money you make, the better standing you have in society, the better access you have to pretty much everything. And I mean, that's not what the ANC thinks of itself, or at least what it pretends to be. But that is the reality. If you are poor, you are pretty much sanctioned to live a life of struggle. And in many cases, even with that struggle, as bad as that struggle is, on top of that, you are also consistently criminalized, as if there is a problem with you for being poor, as if there is a mistake that you are making. And if you just overcome your own personal flaws, then you can, you know, think yourself out of poverty. Or if only you just worked 10 hours more than everyone else, forget that that's physically impossible, forget that, you know, some of the people who earn the lowest in our country, specifically domestic workers, spend more hours traveling than anyone in the middle class can fathom and then still have to clean houses the entire day while dealing with crap from their employers who don't see themselves as employers, but rather see themselves as people who are doing a favor uh, by hiring you. So there's a lot of problems in our labor structure. But the problem, I think, becomes harder to solve when we try to celebrate the toxicity of earning this much money or of having this much money because earning implies that it's just earning implies that it's fair and that is as far from the truth as you can possibly go so I get it for too long the Forbes list of billionaires has been dominated by old white men and in many cases it still is at the moment the estimate is that there are 2,755 billionaires in the world and it's cool that Rihanna, who sings some of our favorite jams, is part of that 2,755. It's a really damn elite club. And I guess we like to celebrate elitism. We like to celebrate when people who you might not expect or you might not be used to seeing enter into a club that is prestigious. My question is whether the club should be considered prestigious at all. And then, secondly, should we even be celebrating when more people enter the billionaires club? Let me preface this discussion by saying this is not an attack on Rihanna. This is an attack on every single person who hoards wealth. And she happens to be one of them. But there are thousands more who do similar things and might earn a little bit less, but are still invested in a system that wants to, no, a system that needs to rely on the oppression of everyone else. So the estimated net worth of all the billionaires, those 2,755 people that I mentioned, the estimated net worth of all of them is around 13.1 trillion US dollars. And this is according to Forbes. And Forbes is premised on the idea, it's a financial magazine that's premised on the idea that it's important to celebrate the amount of wealth that people have, which is why they come up with these lists every year, which is why they are often the ones to break the news if someone reaches that billionaire's level. They are the ones who will call you out if you lie about how much money you have, Kylie Jenner. Um, they are basically the source to go to if you really want to know who's earning what. 
But the way they present it is always as something to celebrate. It's always, oh my gosh, guys, look who just made it onto the list. Woohoo, party time. This person is now worth something. It's never a critical thinking exercise. It's never a discussion about how the person earned that wealth. Never a discussion about the steps that people have to take to amass that amount. And this is where lay people like us fall into the trap. We buy that stuff, we celebrate that stuff, and we forget to think about the ordinary people like you and I who have to suffer in order to even allow the possibility of billionaires existing. Let me, I mean, let me just explain this in context. So if the billionaires, their net worth is about $13.1 trillion, what does that even mean? How do you even fathom that amount of money? Well, the global economy, which is currently going through the COVID crisis and is reeling from the COVID crisis, we know this. We know this from our personal lives. We know how many people around us have lost our jobs, whether that be someone we know or even us ourselves. We know how many people have had to cut back hours. We know how many people have lost money if they own their business. We know this, okay? We feel this and we see this. So globally, the entire global economy is estimated to have lost at most about 4 trillion US dollars. That's absolutely devastating. It's resulting in more hunger. It's resulting in more debt defaults. It's resulting in more homelessness. It's an absolute monstrosity that we are currently going through. And it's probably worth about $4 trillion. Which is not even half of the $13.1 trillion that the billionaires are worth. So the global economy is absolutely messed up because of this and the billionaires together are worth more than double that amount so just reflect on on how much we're talking now and if you want to compare crises to crises the global financial crisis which is literally called global financial crisis is estimated to have costed about two trillion dollars Maybe you think I'm being harsh. Maybe you think not all billionaires are bad. Maybe you think only Jeff Bezos is evil and maybe Bill Gates, but not Rihanna, surely. Surely she's one of the good guys. No. There is no such thing as an ethical billionaire. No. Zero. Absolutely nothing. The sheer amount of oppression that needs to be done in order to amass that much wealth requires that anyone with a conscience would be unable to deal. And I'm not saying she never had a conscience. I'm not saying nobody in the billionaires club has a conscience. I'm just saying in order to make that much money, you kind of need to have as little of a conscience as possible. And you can think about this. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. There's no product in the world whose actual intrinsic value is worth billions. So I mean, what's the difference between value and price? Pretty much all of us can agree that something like an iPhone is overpriced. We know that the intrinsic value of all the little parts, including the labor cost and the shipping cost, does not equal what it actually sells for. There's a huge profit that's made off iPhones, okay? And that profit goes to 
Apple. It doesn't go to the workers who assemble the iPhones, the workers who are doing the labor. They pretty much always have to be paid as low as possible in order to make CEOs billionaires. It's it's just not possible. So you pay wages lower than what they are actually worth. And then when you sell your product, you overcharge for the product. And all the profits that you get, you simply take that for yourself. And you don't really improve conditions for the workers. You don't really improve the lives of workers. We know the story because we have heard the incidents in Amazon. We've heard about the work culture in Amazon. We know about Elon Musk and how he was so keen to continue production during COVID lockdown in the USA, where he even threatened to pull out of the USA. And there was no regard really for his workers and for his workers who would have to risk COVID in order to meet certain production targets. The problem with glorifying anyone that enters into a billionaire's club, and I mean, I'm not saying that millionaires are any better. They are part of the oppressive system as well. But billionaires are like the kings of the oppressive system. So the problem with glorifying it is that you willfully ignore absolutely all the oppression that goes into creating a billionaire. If we admit that it's not based on how much people contribute to society, it's not an accurate reflection of how much they assist in developmental goals, then we can admit that they reap benefits that they should not be reaping. But not just that, they reap those benefits at the expense of people who work for them. There is stories that I've read about the conditions of work in factories that produce Rihanna's beauty products, which is essentially what catapulted her to billionaire status. I've also seen reports by people like Forbes who are calling her a self-made billionaire. I have no idea what that means. It's because that is not possible. What does that mean? That you went and printed all of your billions by yourself? No, there's absolutely no such thing as a self-made billionaire. I understand what they are trying to say, but that's not a thing. It's, again, part of this bigger lie that we should celebrate billionaires. But no one is self-made. I mean, even if you earn 200 rand a month, which you shouldn't be because that's lower than the minimum wage, but even if that's what you earn, you yourself are not self-made. There is no one can... I mean, how can we say no man is an island and then go talk about self-made billionaires? The way that the current system works is that everyone has to rely on everyone else. The interdependence is more than I can explain. But the interdependence for billionaires is a normal person's interdependence on steroids. I know steroids is a touchy subject because we just passed the Olympics, but yeah, just, I'm sorry, deal with it. And even though I get sucked up in Olympic politics and Olympic issues... I myself know that the Olympics itself is a gross overspending on sports that do not benefit majority of the people in whatever country is hosting the Olympics. So that's just another problem that we have in this whole context. Maybe some people will say that you can't quantify ideas and therefore Jeff Bezos deserved to make $24 billion during the pandemic because his ideas are just worth that much. I think it's a clever way to try and explain billionaires and how they may be ethical. Um, but you can't, the, the convenience is that you can't quantify ideas. 
and therefore you can charge as much as you possibly want for those ideas. The problem, though, remains that you can quantify ideas as much as you want if you did it equally. But we know that not everyone is paid equally for their ideas. We know that there are hierarchies and there are systems of oppression that can pay some people a lot more for their ideas than other people. And God forbid, some people can steal ideas or appropriate ideas from other people whose names we will never ever know and reap all the benefits from them. So no, self-made billionaires are not a thing. And I mean, specifically in the context of someone like Rihanna, it doesn't make sense because if I just chose to launch a beauty line right now, just like Nje, I doubt I'd be successful off the bat. You know that there's a lot of marketing that has to go into that. There's a lot of product development that has to go into that. Ultimately, my brand will only be successful if other people buy into that brand. If other people like my products enough. If other people are even aware of my products. And Rihanna and a lot of other celebrities gain celebrity by doing something else. So singing. And after that, used that brand to launch the beauty line. And I'm not saying that that inherently is a bad thing. I'm just saying that to pretend as if she didn't use her celebrity status to launch the brand and as if that celebrity status did nothing to make her brand more appealing, that's a lie. That's a complete lie. Rihanna saying to companies, you know, help me fund this venture is not the same as me saying help me fund this venture. So... The status of attaining celebrity in the first place is also not self-made. That relies on having fans. That relies on having people who buy into what you're selling. And then when you actually sell a product, that's not self-made either. Because that relies on the people who make the product. That relies on the people who transport the product. That relies on the people who buy the product. There is literally no way to be a self-made billionaire unless it's in your mind. If you think that this amount of wealth is not obscene... I'll try again to contextualize it in a different way. I tweeted this week that I told my mom something like, I feel like spending money unnecessarily this weekend. Which means something like, I feel like buying a small item that I don't really need, but that I just want. And not an item that costs thousands, because I don't have that kind of money. Anyway, the priorities in our household made my mom tell me that I should spend whatever money I was planning on using to buy an item and buy food unnecessarily, meaning more than I would normally buy. Um, And it made me giggle, but now I'm thinking about it. If someone told Jeff Bezos to spend that money unnecessarily, the dude could literally fund the end of world hunger. Um, But okay, I mean, let's say he doesn't want to. Let's say he cares about another issue. He can try to solve another issue. There is mass homelessness in the world. There is a great refugee crisis that's been going on since before I was born and doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. There's a lot of things that people with that amount of wealth can do, but most of it doesn't interest them because the aim of capitalism is just to make more wealth and to hoard more wealth. I know that he cannot spend the amount of money that he has. There's no way he can spend the amount of money that he has. But that's not the point of amassing wealth. And when we understand that, we'll understand how becoming a billionaire is not really something to celebrate. Even if... And even if you think billionaires are awesome because they donate so much money in philanthropy, 
that's also not really how it works. There are a lot of documentaries and a lot of journals and a lot of articles that explain how billionaires and millionaires donate money that becomes tax-free. And it's almost the way they sanitize their image by starting things like foundations, by donating to a specific charity worth millions or billions of dollars in charity. And everyone thinks that this person's awesome. It's not really because they get to choose which charities or which projects they feel like funding. They, by doing so, avoid a lot of taxes in certain countries, specific places that are things like tax havens. And believe it or not, philanthropy by billionaires is much cheaper than wealth taxes would be. Which is why billionaires love philanthropy, because it helps them from actually paying more money to taxes, which are spent according to whatever government plans to do with it, and are meant to accrue to everyone. But instead of doing that, it's just, I guess, easier to choose which groups of people you feel like benefiting and pay a lot less than you would if you were paying actual taxes at actual wealth tax rates, which would be like 20% of your wealth. The saying nobody ever got poorer by giving is damn true when it comes to billionaires who avoid taxes and instead donate money. There are also a lot of problems with how people who are wealthy get to influence politics in ways that the ordinary person does not know. And South Africa obviously knows this very well because we're currently reeling from state capture. Um, I mean, I'm saying that as if state capture is over, but for all we know, it's still continuing. Um, people who are not elected but are just rich get to influence public policy, get to influence who gets appointed, get to use state funds for whatever they feel like using, get to have control and benefit from state investments. The whole system is geared towards giving people with money power that they don't deserve and power that other people are not aware of. To give you a really hilarious anecdote, when I was doing research for this podcast, there was an article by The Guardian that spoke about how much money it would cost to end world hunger. And they estimated about $330 billion to end world hunger by 2030. The estimates, by the way, are it's a broad range, so... Some people estimate $7 billion, others estimate all the way to $330 billion. So I read this article by The Guardian, and right on top it explains how the article was funded. And the article is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is just really funny, considering Bill Gates, who is supposed to be this guy that's obsessed with world health, actively lobbied to change the rules of the Oxford-created vaccine which was made by state funds in the USA, um, he actively lobbied for that to be privatized and sold to him instead of making it open source, um, which would mean that all of us would be vaccinated, including me, by now. So the whole purpose of this rant is not because I'm jealous of the amount of money that people have. Frankly, I've never really been jealous of people who oppress others, so I'm okay on this one. I think it's just more to say we really need to reconsider how we value human beings, how we value human life, how we value ideas, how we value labor. Even the fact that we refer to people's worth as a monetary value 
is a problematic idea that we need to think about changing. It's probably pivotal that we change that. I did say I would talk a little bit about the cabinet reshuffle that happened the past week. So this is just another reflection on how we value money more than human beings. After the reshuffle, everyone was focused on what do the markets say? What, like, how do the markets feel about the new appointments? As if the market has feelings, um, as if the markets are what the constitution of South Africa pretends to protect, as if the markets are the ones who suffer and starve and need to deal with homelessness and criminalized poverty. The spoiler that you should be sensing is that the market is not a thing. It is something that's made up of human beings. That's meant to relate to human beings. That doesn't always do that. Most often it relates to wealthy human beings. But that'll be a podcast topic for another day. The whole point of the discussion that I've been trying to have with myself is that wealth is not equal to worth and the sooner we realize that the sooner we can prioritize those who are marginalized and we can realize the role that we play in upholding the oppressive system because every single cent that we are able to make is off the back of people who are underpaid or unpaid and essentially undervalued by the society that we live in so it's our job to start valuing those people and those contributions That is now a completely different point to the one I'm about to make, which is that even if the markets liked the cabinet reshuffle, us as objective human beings that can research and can judge character and can look at track records, we should not be celebrating the cabinet reshuffle either. It was mostly political, um, which is pretty much everything, I guess, that we see in South Africa's political landscape. But um, a lot of it is not really going to change, I don't think, the lives of ordinary South Africans. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong. Um, But that, yeah, the appointments kind of feel like more of the same with different names. And some of them are not so different. Some of them are people who left the public eye for a little bit after some scandals. Enoch Kodongwana might be familiar. Um... (laughs) The article that I read, the headline is Enoch Kodongwana ready to move on from past controversy. Yeah, you might be ready, but we aren't. And that's because your controversy includes defrauding people. But others have been in other places where they were a party to lots of scandals. I'm talking about Lindy vs. Suluia. And now are just in different places and... I mean, I don't know if more scandals will follow them, but we'll wait and see, I guess. As depressing as I've made all of the sound, and I mean, some of it really warrants that type of reaction, I think that the whole point of this is we need to become critically aware of what we celebrate, of who we celebrate, of the standards that we have for ourselves, for our society, for our political leaders, for our wealthy people. Damn. The standards that we have in general really need to be reconsidered and need to be recalibrated into one that prioritizes human beings and quality of life for human beings. Because, I mean, when I was discussing ending world hunger, that's ending extreme hunger, dealing with extreme poverty. That means giving people any semblance of a life of dignity. That doesn't really refer to you know, a life where things are amazing and you're thriving and you can meet all of your bills. 
and you can get luxuries. It literally means something as basic as you have a nutritious meal every single day. That's, I mean, that's the bar that we're talking about. So the bar is really low and it's our job to raise that bar. Um, and when it comes to things like wealth, throw the bar out and install a new one. And this brings me to the ending, which, as I said, would reflect about the bittersweetness of endings. I recently completed an internship at the Socioeconomic Rights Institute, and I was absolutely blown away because I finally got to work with people who were as passionate about social justice, if not more, um, and who actually had the work to show for it. Mine at the moment in my young age, um, is mostly just ideas and opinions and thoughts for the future and plans. But working with people who have really done this work and seeing that it is possible revitalized my sense of optimism. So the ending itself was not nice. It's not nice when things end, you know. I'm not really a fan of change when I've been enjoying whatever I've been doing. I realize, though, that accepting endings is an important thing for me to be able to move on to the next phase of my life, which hopefully will be playing a more active role in addressing all of the issues that I've mentioned in this episode, but in previous episodes as well, and episodes that will come, probably. I had to sort of come to terms with the fact that an ending is a lot more and a lot less than we think it is. Sometimes it feels like an ending is the end of the world, um, but sometimes an ending might be the end of the world as we know it, which can be good or can be bad. Essentially, what I've learned is that the next step is up to us, always, and it's our duty then, I guess, to make sure that step is in the right direction, but I am feeling grateful for every ending that I've experienced and every beginning that I've experienced, and everything that's happened in between. Um, I mean, including something like this podcast. I think the things that we need to value are each other, and the memories that we get to make together, and the important differences that we get to enact in a world that feels relentlessly unjust. I guess it's only as unjust as we allow it to be. And that is the end of today's episode. Feel free to let me know if you think I'm being harsh. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at A-M-A-A-R-A-H-G. Especially if you're part of Rihanna's Navy and you really want to come at me. For now though, I am going to have a braai and bask in my futile optimism. Here's to us and here's to hope. <laughs>